At LensCrafters, we value expertly tailored eye care, provide state-of-the-art eye exams, offer a wide assortment of designer brands and high-quality lenses, because everything we do at LensCrafters is for every sight that makes your life special. We offer 50% off lenses with frame purchase, shop in-store and online. Book your annual eye exam now on LensCrafters.com. LensCrafters, because sight. Eye exams are available at the Independent Doctor of Optometry at or next to LensCrafters. Doctors in some states are employed by LensCrafters. Offer valid to April 2nd, 2023. See associate for details. Welcome to Brains, a podcast exploring the inner workings of our brains and how film and television portray them. Hosted by me, a film and television editor, Sarah Taylor. And by me, writer-director, Heather Taylor. Before we begin, we wanted to acknowledge that the lands from which we recorded this podcast are part of territories that have long served as a gathering place for diverse Indigenous peoples, and we are thankful, as guests on this land, to be able to live, work, and gather here. On today's episode, we're talking about hookup culture and consent. We hope to dispel commonly held myths about hookup culture and our ideas around consent, as well as discuss the impact sex scripts shown in TV and movies affect Gen Z's sexual behaviors. This conversation will apply to you no matter what age you are. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's thanks to our very funny guest, Dr. Aditi Paul. Dr. Paul is a dating and relationships researcher and professor at Pace University. She's based in New York City and uses her dual background in technology and relationship science to examine how dating apps are transforming people's personal and sex lives. Her book, The Current Collegiate Hookup Culture, was recently published by R&L Publishing House. A quick reminder to our listeners that this interview should not be taken as medical advice, and it is for informational purposes only. Because everyone's brain is different, please consult your healthcare professional if you have any questions. We will talk about sex and sexual assault, so please be warned. And now, Dr. Aditi Paul. Hello and welcome to the podcast. So excited that you could join us today. So welcome. Thank you so much. Heather, and thank you, Sarah, for for having me. And I'm so excited to share the research on hookup culture and get to know your idea of what hookup culture is, because we're so far removed from Gen Z. So we're going to collectively be ignorant together. (laughs) I love it. Wait, well, it's a it's a podcast. Can't I just pretend? Can't I just say we're all pretending? (laughs) (laughs) We're all pretending like we understand Gen Z. I love it. Tell us a little bit about yourself and then why and how you became interested in looking at dating and hookup culture. I am going to tell you, I'm just going to be very honest with you. This is going to be the most uninspirational story of all time. It's very straightforward. (laughs) I'm a professor of communication studies and media in New York City, and I do my research at the intersection of technology and human relationships. And that's Mm. because I have a background in computer science. Uh, I have a bachelor's and master's in it. And I've seen the coding side of the story. I wanted to see the things that software engineers are coding. How does that manifest in our lives and how is it screwing us over? (laughs) My first research project was looking at if online dating is better than offline dating. And from there, that got a lot of social media and like just media clout. And that kind of made me understand that, you know, online dating, as frivolous as it may sound, has 
a global impact that is one of mm-hmm. the forces if not the only one where everybody is using this one technology to navigate relationships and you know relationships look so different in different countries but because of this game changing of a technology it's become universal like we speak mm-hmm. the same language when my friends back home in india or my colleagues in europe they talk about using dating apps and how they have swiped and they have not received a response we know exactly what we were talking about so that's why i kept getting fascinated about dating apps and just like everybody during the pandemic i was bored out of my wits so <laughs> i thought might as well dig deeper into something that i kept hearing in the online dating literature and that is tinder being a hookup app and mm. i was born what gen z calls the 1900s did you know they were calling us that <laughs> no. like we were from the 1900s yes i've heard it's, this <laughs> it's so demeaning but i totally get it <laughs> the audacity of clubbing us together with people born in 1901 i was <laughs> <laughs> so I wanted to know what the heck is happening with Gen Z and and what do they mean by hookups. So I picked up a couple of books, dug deeper into the research that has already been done in this area, and I saw some clear gaps in knowledge. The first one being there is no formal account of how dating apps like Tinder and Grinder and Bumble are transforming this already existent hookup culture that is in college campuses we only know the one side of the story that is how party hookups work but is everybody going to parties to hook up is everybody white size 0 and going to fraternities not really <laughs> like there is a whole other demographic in college campuses so how are they hooking up or are they all celibate and <laughs> what are some other ways that gen z is exploring their sexuality given the new technological advancements that we've had in our society so that led me to this book the book's name is the current collegiate hookup culture dating apps hookup scripts and sexual outcomes well you mentioned the word hookup scripts can you tell us what sexual scripts hookup scripts like what are these what does that mean and what are some of the common ones yeah and and you know i was so excited i wanted to ask heather because we have a writer amongst us who has like dab i mean i want to know how you would define scripts <laughs> and go from there well i feel like i've kind of cheated on this because we have discussed this before <laughs> in a different capacity so this idea of how things are supposed to be how dating is supposed to be and then in, in different in cases between heterosexual relationships versus same sex relationships and there are kind of this norm that is created that doesn't actually exist and we perpetuate over and over again in media so that we and basically convince people that that is how things should be even though it isn't true yeah was that frankenstein's monster like something that you create but then it possesses you and you become arrested mm. by it mm. is that was that mm, frankenstein's that sounds- monster I- That sounds right to me. Right? <laughs> I don't know if that's the term, but yeah. It's like groups are like that, you know? Like yes. there are things that we create and then we are arrested by the one thing that we created. So mm-hmm. we can uncreate it, but we still stick to it. Now, I I really want to take up this time to be kind toward human beings. We have survived a plague. This is not a moment where we shut the human race down. We've had a lot to to go through in this year. Mm-hmm. So I do want to talk about why we rely on scripts because we don't like uncertainty as a human race. We don't like uncertainty. We want to know. We want to predict. Mm-hmm. So these scripts or these mental shortcuts that we have for day-to-day living gives us a way to relax our brain so that we don't 
have to actively think about what to do. So these are mental shortcuts that we have. That's just scripts overall. Huh. And within that, you have sexual scripts. And within sexual scripts, you have a specific kind of sexual script called the hookup script. And like you said, Heather, these just outline the typical like sequence of actions and events that should occur in sexual encounters. And it also, these are like mental shortcuts that tell us, okay, who should I have sex with? Like what kind of sexual behavior should I be engaging in? In what order <laughs> do mm -hmm. I do it, right? What comes first, A kissing or like a blowjob, hopefully the first before the second. <laughs> and then, the, and, and also what meaning do you ascribe to these type of sexual behaviors, mm -hmm. the first, the fact that a guy you have been seeing wants to have unprotected sex with you, what does that particular sexual behavior mean? So these are all baked within the concept of sexual scripts. So within sexual scripts, you have the hookup script and the meaning of a hookup. Actually, you know, before I, I uh, tell you what the meaning of hookup says, I want to know what you think Gen Z <laughs> thinks hookup is. Ooh. So, I don't even know if I ever grasped the term, what hookup meant for me when I was like in my dating realm because I always attached way more to it than what I think it is maybe what it is. But I almost feel like Gen Z is looking at it as it is. It is a one-time thing for fun. It feels good. And mm. we try not to attach to it. Or maybe more than one time. But yet again, just like maybe not as it's not a serious relationship. It's yeah. a moment in time or a number of moments in time. But not associated to a ongoing, maybe monogamous relationship. Yeah. And and what, what kind of sexual behaviors do you think a typical hookup has? Or what do they do? Interesting, because I would, back in, back in my day, <laughs> um, <laughs> I would say it would be a makeout if there wasn't sex, but it mm. would be a hookup if there was sex. Like oral sex or intercourse. So you're saying that if, if you just make out, then you would call it make out. Mm -hmm. But then if you had sex or oral sex, anal sex, penetrative sex, then you would qualify it as a as a hookup. Yeah. Or what? you know what? Or just one night stand. I don't know if I even used the term hookup back when I was hooking up. <laughs> yeah, right. Look at you, Sarah. Oh, bring out a different color in you. <laughs> And And you're right, like there are shades of things that you have talked about which are right. It goes along with what Gen Z means, and it also defies a number of things that we think Gen Z does, but they don't. So how has the landscape of hookups changed? Originally, we thought that hookups and one night stands are just synonyms for the same thing. That is, you hook up with a random stranger, possibly inebriated, right? Mm -hmm. And then have sex with them. And then you wake up in the morning and you're like, I don't even want to know who I hooked up with. And you establish that sort of meaninglessness. Yeah. And that has changed. And that's the first thing that I wanted to dispel in terms mm. of the hookup culture, that it's way too sensationalized in the media. And we are fooled into thinking that these hookups are just these deranged sex parties to create commitment phobia and a seabed of STIs among college students. That is not the case because mm. Gen Z is hooking up with the same person once a month or once in two, three months. So it's hmm. it's an ongoing affair. They are not strangers. Gen Z hooks up with people who they have added on Snapchat, on Instagram, on social media. They frequently communicate with their hookup partners. They have mutual friends with their hookup partners. They plan the hookup. It's not 
like a spontaneous mm-hmm. carnal affair and the type of meaninglessness that they ascribe it's not through social and emotional distancing it either results in a relationship or it's in this weird limbo and this mm-hmm. is where us being millennials and gen z at this point we're all boomers like they <laughs> they have words which go beyond my comprehension if i tell you if i tell you that they are orbiting would that make any sense to you no not to me is it anyway is it but is orbiting like you know just being in the person's general vicinity that's right mhm and that's what happens look at I- you heather <laughs> i mean shaming us into senility like come on i do i do write a show with teens but teens from 1986 so that's so you're not using the term so not using the terms but you know i hang around them i hang around listen you know if you're gonna outshine us like that let me just take it one step further let me give you an extra credit question (laughs) how do you think they're orbiting they're orbiting that's for sure but how do you think they're orbiting Oh, through social media. So it's making sure that they are seen in your social space, even if they aren't necessarily interacting with you. Yeah. And then how does how does that manifest in the social media world? You're you're so close. By liking the things that they like or something or somehow being in the like. Liking that that is you might as well get married to me at this point. Like, (laughs) come on, double tapping on my post. Bring it down a couple of notches. Come on. We're orbiting here. We are not like crashing we're like not, a meteorite. We're not Facebooking, right? They don't no. Facebook. <laughs> Liking. You're not. Oh, gosh. What's well, back in the day? Facebook. My no, no, no. Oh, I mean, on Facebook. Oh, poking no, 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 each no. other. Poking each other poking. on Facebook. Oh, yeah. Look at us. I mean, that was that was us hooking up. Like, it that was. was. Just that, somebody I think I like, poked many a hookup. I, I, because well, I think it's like when you look at, let's say, Instagram, when you're looking at stuff, yeah. like they can see that you're looking. They can see that you're there. That's right. That's uh, exactly what's yeah. happening. Right. Look at you. This is not a conversation about my research. This is like, how well do we know Gen Z? And just gloating. I, I didn't know that this was going to be a test. Heather and I are a little bit competitive. And now like, I'm going to have to outshine Sarah, her. Anyway you need here. to catch up. You need to catch up. I'm going to ask you one more question. Wait, hold on. Not for, not for now. But the way they are establishing meaningless, and this is something that really does impact your mental health, where like talking about like us not being good with uncertainty. Think about it. 80% of college students said that they added their partner on social media. And then... 68% of them ghosted their partners. So like you don't talk to them. Think about you hooked up with this person and then they are on social media with you and then you upload a story and then you swipe up and you see their name. They're, they're not talking to you. They're not engaging with your content, but they're just there. So they haven't done anything to warrant a block out of you, but they also shouldn't be there, right? They're just <laughs> taking up space at this point. And it's not just like physical, it, it's mental space, like you don't know what it is. So it, it does lead to that area of confusion, yeah. which does not really come from emotional distancing and being cold towards you and like commitment phobic. I think it's non-confrontational at this point. You're like bringing back so many feelings, <laughs> like younger <laughs> days. But back then we had, we did briefly have Facebook and it was text messaging. Mm. And just like waiting for that message to come mm. or being like, oh, I don't want to message back too soon. And like, right. there was the, I guess the scripts, the, the rules yeah. of how to engage 
to sh- to not show you're too enthusiastic if you are interested or if you're totally not interested how to like not ghost somebody. Right. But ghosting just, wasn't even a phrase that I used back then. Yeah. But also there's just there was rules that you're being told by I think partly what you're, what watching, you're watching. But also just your then your friends are repeating it, right? Like, right. oh, you can you know, you have to wait a certain amount of time before That's you can right. message them or you can only have sex on the third date or you can only mm-hmm. or whatever rules are put in place to like right. what deems like you're allowed to do. Yeah. And then also culturally I was in my 20s in the UK and mm-hmm. I found that there was a difference mm-hmm. in terms of how people had relationships. Things were serious much more quickly. Mm-hmm. So when I moved to the US and dating someone and like three months in, I'm like, he's asking other people for phone numbers. And I was like, wait a right. minute. I thought, wait, it's been like three months. Aren't we mm-hmm. something? And I'm like, oh, I guess not. <laughs> I guess not, not, not in America. <laughs> not yeah. in America. It was yeah. just so different. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So like having those... I mean, it's just boundary setting, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, it, and it's not a Gen Z, not a boomer, not a Gen X thing. It's a maturity thing that when our boundaries are violated enough times, then one day we wake up and say enough is enough. This is not going to work. Mm-hmm. And we cannot really ascribe it to a particular generation. Mm-hmm. We should also acknowledge the fact that our behaviors are mutated by the technologies that we use. So the reason why we didn't ghost is because we didn't have any means of ghosting. Yeah. If there was a means of ghosting, we would have 100% ghosted. <laughs> yeah, so probably. for now, we have things like orbiting and ghosting. And if you did, if you do ghosting in a nice way, it's called caspering um <laughs> it's true I, I love it i knew that one i feel really like gen heather, z right yeah, now what acing. The heck? heather is acing all right but sarah do you know what a snap is well like a snapchat like yes there yeah, you go yeah. one point there you go i'm, I'm really trying to get you up it's considered a snap no because it disappears left behind <laughs> I'm I'm a very I'm a very nice professor I, as I you like can this. tell. I think I want to take your class. I'll feel I'll feel vindicated. <laughs> so yeah. how how has how's it changed then with the way hookup scripts are in this like okay we talked about orbiting. Obviously the technology's changed, but yeah. there must still be rules that are somehow in, talked about or put into this world. I had to challenge my own bias because I came to the U.S. as an international student, and this is talking about 10 to 12 years back in 2010. And the exposure that I had of American college culture was through movies. Mm -hmm. So I saw American Pie. I watched Neighbors or or, or all Mm -hmm. these movies where they showed that college is this like alcohol-soaked party where you go to a frat house and then you stick your penis into a pie like that's why that's why I came to the US to live the American dream like forget about higher education I need to know this part of America the research that focused on student accounts they were echoing this thing that I already knew that hookups are happen at parties they're spontaneous they lead to spontaneous possibly unprotected sex, and that women especially have a lot of regret around it. And that has changed because hookups, what I have realized while doing my research is not all sex, drugs, and alcohol. As a matter of fact, in dating app-initiated hookups, alcohol consumption was the lowest, Mm -hmm. was the lowest. And I'm not saying that all the research that has been done thus far on hookups is faulty, is false. It's very unidimensional. 
Like they have mm-hmm. only focused on hookups that perpetrate through parties. Mm-hmm. But 48% of students and higher hook up through school instances where you meet somebody at a class, you meet somebody at a student club, you meet somebody through other like student activities that happen. And think about it, those are more common than parties and people mm-hmm. have more mm-hmm. access to those spaces than a Kappa Gamma Alpha Pi party. <laughs> like they're not, they're not everybody has access to a toga party is all I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. So what happens to those hookup scripts? And I'm just going to read out an account of this one student. She said, I had just watched a scary movie and was alone. I was kind of scared and my roommate was gone. So I texted my guy friend to hang out. He came to my room and we watched Netflix. I became comforted by him and then one thing led to another. How low-key is this? How Netflix and chill is this? (laughs) Right? So like that's one way that hookups have have not changed, but that's what hookups have been, Mm. I want to say, where it's more about hanging out and keeping it low key, really, and keeping the room open for something to develop, but not really talking about it. Mm -hmm. Because a lot of my students, 48% of them said that they were romantically interested. And this has been the case where you have romantic feelings toward your partner, but you don't explore that nobody brings up that conversation. So it's in this like very limbotic phase, Mm -hmm. if you may call that. Mm-hmm. So, okay, I'm going to ask a question about, I don't know if you've seen it, but have you seen Euphoria? I was going to talk about that too, yeah. Yes, and it's it's a high over-exaggeration of everything. There were little to no account of people being inebriated, drugged out, having polyamorous sexual escapades. Although I should say I haven't watched Euphoria, but... I have done something that Gen Zs do. I know euphoria through TikTok sounds. There is this sound called, wait a minute, is this fucking show about us? That's all That's all I know. That's all I know. So you need to tell me, tell me what euphoria shows hookups should be like. For me, well, it shows that sex, it's just freely... I want to say given. It's just they just it's a thing that's done. And these are high school students. Mm. And they're just having sex and they it seems like they all just want to have sex and it's not as big of a deal, I guess, maybe. I don't know. What do you think, Heather? I think there's a lack of consent, I'd say, a lot of times. There's no like verbal consent that I can recall. Well, yeah, there's definitely other f- shows where the person's like are you okay with this? Like I just watched mm. it and I was like, oh, that doesn't happen. But it does seem like, it seems like way more sex than I think is what's actually happening in high school. And nudity. There's a lot Lots of, of nudity. There's a lot of penises, which is like, fine, great, free the penis. But I don't know. I've just never saw that. <laughs> myself. Yeah, that's, that's a lot to take. I honestly do not think that is the case. And, and not, not just think, my data shows it's not the case. That's what I'm going to put it. It's not Mm -hmm. even a matter of opinion at this point. It is a matter of what it is. Mm -hmm. 20% and lower students said that they had drugs during their last hookup. You're having sober sex. And the most soberest sex is happening on dating apps. And dating apps, out of 100% of students, 25% said that they hooked up with somebody through dating apps. And out of those 25%, over 60% were LGBT individuals. Mm. And... Their hookups are planned and they engage in higher order sexual behaviors, but there is a clear discussion of plans, clear Mm. discussion. So this one student, he says, 
I had been texting him on Grinder for a couple of hours. We swapped pictures and talked about where and when we could hook up for sex. Then I gave him my address. He said he was on his way over. When he got there, we had sex. And then there was another student account where they said, "Oh, I packed everything: lube, condoms, everything." And Think about that. So consent, to your point, Heather and Sarah too. That is, consent does not happen on the first time that you meet this person, especially if you're communicating with mm-hmm. them. There is a precedence of you texting them, Snapchatting them. A lot of those communications are sexually loaded communications. Mm-hmm. So you're sending them thirst traps. You are uploading suggestive pictures. Look at me knowing Gen Z language. I was going to say, Sarah, um, do you know what a thirst trap I is? I do Sarah? know what a thirst trap is. Thank you very much. I mean, Sarah, Sarah will quit. From I'm quitting goodness. the show. From next time, next episode. We just have Heather. <laughs> Oh my gosh. So, yeah, they're they're uploading suggestive pictures. They're suggestively talking to each other. It's it doesn't go from a 0 to 100 when you're actually hooking up with this person. There are verbal signals and then there are non-verbal signals mm-hmm. which lets this person know that yes, we want to have sex. Yes, we want to escalate things. Now, this is kind of jumping a little forward in what we were going to talk about, but a friend of mine reached out and was like empty consent is something he's heard about recently but basically he's like look you know i've had experiences where i've arranged to have sex and then i changed my mind upon meeting the guy but i would go through with it as if not to be considered a time waster mm. so i'm just wondering like we have this in our head i think yeah. that no matter what generation you are mm-hmm. so like how does this kind of idea of it is consensual but then also the person doesn't want to do it yeah Yeah. I was just having this conversation with the director of sexual prevention management I think at 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 Columbia University and she and I we were talking about how restrictive and dated the rubric of consent is. Mm-hmm. That yeah, I mean the idea or like you know the conversation around consent it blows my mind especially in a progressive society like the US which we think is you know in comparison more progressive when it comes to like sex and gender even within this country the the concept of sexual assault consent is new and and it's progressively getting into the psyche getting into the regular conversation now because of policies because of continued efforts of bipoc feminists particularly right so it's going to take time to add nuance to add more mm. context to the topic of consent but we really need to push toward that because consent doesn't work the way we think it's going to work and to be honest with you when i give workshops on consent i don't think i'm doing enough service because mm. the people who i want to be in the workshops who should know about consent are absent and i'm talking about cisgender heterosexual yeah, yeah. men It's mostly an echo chamber of sorts mm-hmm. and I really don't blame them because they are of the understanding that we know what consent is. I need to ask, she needs to say yes or he needs to say yes, and then that's how it goes. 
And to be honest with you, they're not wrong in believing in that because I asked these informal accounts from college students and high school students, can you explain how do you give consent? How do you ask for consent? The best nuanced answer was from a 19-year-old straight male student. He knew the textbook definition of what consent is. But the thing is, consent doesn't work the way we think it works. Mm-hmm. First myth about consent is it has to be verbal. 50% of college students ask for consent non-verbally. It's implied. So mm-hmm. what are we doing beating our heads around thinking that consent is going to be verbal and educating people about enthusiastic consent and has to be clear and the fries analogy. We don't have to talk about that. We have to talk about what happens between a yes and an I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Right? What does it look like? Talking about scripts, questioning these deep-seated understanding that we think how sexuality works, that we think that female sexual desire is so black and white that before signing up for sex, we need to tell the other person exactly what we know. When desire does not work like that, mm-hmm. it, it evolves in interaction, right? Where we think that when we have escalated situations because you've called this person over for wine and you just signed up for a makeout session and this person wants to push and and have sex with you, that we need to see this through because we subscribe to the male sexuality steam boiler model where given that they have blue balls now, like it cannot be contained, so I need to see this through. Mm-hmm. And thirdly, the gentle refusal model, that is you you say no to them the big ask, but then you offer them something in return, which results in, okay, I'm not going to have sex with you, but okay, I'm going to have oral sex with you because I didn't say yes to the bigger sex that you're talking about. Mm. You mentioned how it's not just verbal consent. A little story from my life. We didn't talk about consent at all growing up. Like that wasn't a conversation Mm. we had at school other than like, don't let any grown up touch you in your bathing suit parts. We had whatever that was, the care program, I can't remember what it was called, as like little kids. And then... I was sexually assaulted in my college years. It was a college party. Didn't deal with it. Didn't even know that I was assaulted until a male friend said, if you said no, then that that's called rape. And I was like, holy fuck. Like, I didn't like even, like it just, I just didn't think it was that, right? Yeah. And then it took me a long time to actually like go through the process of figuring it all out and healing. So there is an Edmonton, there was a sexual assault center here in Edmonton. So I went there. They offer free therapy for sexual assault survivors. And one of the first things you have to do is take... A consent course, Mm. which, like you said, the room was filled with other sexual assault survivors. So mostly women. And I think there was there was a few parents there. So I think their kids have like, which was great to see parents supporting their children. But during that class for me, I was like, oh, my God, there's so many other times that this has happened because Mm. I didn't understand. I guess that I had a voice or whatever it was. Mm. I didn't Mm -hmm. understand what what any of this sexual interaction what the script, well, no, I knew what the scripts were. And I just did the scripts, even though I didn't want to do the scripts. So now as a parent to a young girl, I'm like hyper-focused on letting, of teaching her <laughs> what consent is and being like, it's your body. And if it doesn't feel good, then you say no. And you don't have to hug anybody and you don't have to do anything you don't want to do. But there's more to it than that. Now, like talking with you, there's more than just even that, con- like, obviously we need to know the concept of what doesn't feel good. You have a voice to say that's not good but like what can we do different what can we teach our kids in a different way so that they don't have the situations that a lot of people in my generation I'm sure all the women that were in that consent class sitting there feeling like holy fuck I've been sexually assaulted so many times in my life what can we do different to the kids coming up now 
<sighs> Sorry, that's a lot. <laughs> you know, I, I, I am not trained to give an informed answer like this is what we need to do. Yeah, yeah. What I am an expert on, because I've done it so many times in my life, is to be true to ourselves. Because, mm. Sarah, when you rose up to that awareness that, oh my gosh, I have been sexually assaulted. To be honest with you, a lot of us being in your position would have blissfully lived in an ignorance. Mm. Oh, I did for a while. Yeah. Yes, because it's difficult. Mm -hmm. When you say, speak your truth, speak your truth. The first person you need to speak the truth to is yourself. Yeah. And to think, and we are so intersectional in our, in our understanding, like, oh my gosh, I'm a feminist. Mm -hmm. I have a daughter. I'm giving her feminist views. But I kept quiet about an assault. So there's this cognitive dissonance and we, and we try to alleviate the dissonance by not doing the work, but instead to reduce the impact of sexual assault by just calling it bad sex. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned that in a, you, you sent us a workshop that we could listen yeah. to of yours, which was, I wish I'm like, everybody should take this workshop. But saying <laughs> yeah. that, yeah, like how often have you with your girlfriends or your boyfriends or whoever mentioned like, oh, it was just like, I met this guy, the sex was really bad. Well, maybe yeah. it's because you weren't into it and you didn't want to have sex with them. Yeah. And, and we've all done that. Like there are gradations of like sexual assault that we have had to survive. Mm -hmm. And the first thing that I would do right, when I'm a mother, is have these difficult conversations with myself and mm -hmm. do what you did, like have a therapist talk through it mm -hmm. and, and work from that place of awareness so that, first of all, we acknowledge and then we heal and mm -hmm. then we learn yeah. and then we transfer. So the lessons that my mom has given me, I'm going to give to my daughter or my son or whoever they are when they're, when they're born it's because I am cashing in on my mom's experience and because she's shared those with me. Mm -hmm. mm. So I have an awareness because my mom went through that, mm -hmm. right? And my dad went through that or my sister went through that. So we all become repositories of like experience that the next generation can benefit from. Yeah. So I think we're doing a good job in bringing things into awareness at the same time, we need to mature our conversation so that we bring these nuances to the table. We equip ourselves and then we equip the, the next generation. What does it look like? There is not just, it's a universal problem. It will require a universal solution. Mm, yeah. It's a multifaceted problem. It's going to require a multifaceted solution. Mm -hmm. So in terms of, you know, I mean, I know your podcast talks about like the impact of media or the impact of popular culture on the way we live our lives is for popular culture stakeholders and decision makers to bake it into mm -hmm. the conversation. And one of the shows that, that does a really good job at this is The Sex Life of College Girls. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and I was like, this is a great show in that it is, every show can improve, I, I should caveat that. <laughs> But one thing which I really, which was very triggering for me, mm. but I was so excited to see that is when this Indian American girl, who it has been her dream to work at, at the, you know, the, the comedy establishment in her college and to be assaulted 
lower order sexual assault she's not raped she's not inebriated but she's touched without her consent by somebody she idolizes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because sexual assault always if not like 80% or more of the times happens in known relationships yeah. what does that look like you don't have to be raped to rise up to the understanding that i was assaulted it mm-hmm. can be a guy rubbing his penis against you and it is assault we need to call it as it is and work our way from there so the more we portray these lower order nuanced depictions of what assault really looks like mm-hmm. the more the conversation opens up and that is one way we can change the narrative around sexual assault it's amazing i think the question i have then too is we're talking in a way about our boundaries too like some th- things are obviously like things that happen to us that we don't you know we haven't had the ability to even set a boundary mm-hmm. but how are let's say gen z or how do we i'm just like let's give us some advice um <laughs> about setting boundaries and saying no especially when you know you there are probably more nuances to what no is too yeah. it's not always verbal what should we be looking for yeah i mean talking about like what no sounds like like when you're having sex and your partner is railing you i mean there are moments where you like that but then when you say slower <laughs> or like take it easy to understand that that is a no mm-hmm. right and like you're asking somebody to understand what you're saying and it's so funny to me like where we are brainwashed or like gaslit honestly mm-hmm. to think that we need to be like megan the stallion in the bedroom right like turn that dial the fuck up right <laughs> tell me what you want me to do and then when you raise your voice outside in the streets to yell back at a yeller or right or a cat caller yeah. you're like that bitch is crazy make up your mind society like wh- where do you want us to use our voice in the bedroom so give us the chance to use our voice outside of the bedroom how cognitively dissonant is for in a heterosexual relationship for a man to be in a 9 to 5 job where he sees a woman being mansplained and then come back and be okay with his wife or his partner say like yeah ride my whatever that you want to it's not going to mm. work like that so either a you make room for our verbosity <laughs> in non-sexual spaces or b you get better at reading non-verbal contexts you get better right so we have to start somewhere mm-hmm. and i'm talking about heterosexual relationships of course and to talk about consent in non-heterosexual relationships because to be honest with you the percentage of unsafe sex was the highest among lesbian women because what is protection in lesbian women relationships right i didn't know and then i was having a conversation with a sexologist who showed me the most weirdest thing but necessary thing possible called dental dams mm-hmm. and i didn't know i thought dental dams is a night guard like okay i need to <laughs> <laughs> i honestly thought that was the case like you know i need to wear a night guard when you go down on a woman but that just that's another way of showing to the world that when it comes to women on women issues or like women centered issues the awareness is so low yeah. like mm-hmm. we just don't know what to do about that so if it were me i would <laughs> the one change that i would do is to insist on nonverbal competence insist on that that mm-hmm. is when a woman doesn't say no but it's evident through her body language through her lack of consent in her body language 
because 95% of our conversation or our communication is nonverbal, consent or otherwise, to insist on that, to know what a woman's body needs, right? Before sex, during sex, after sex, whatever that may be the case. Mm -hmm. I would insist on that if it were up to me. If I were the president of a mythical world, I would do that. But I was going to say, but I think it's the same for men too, right? Because men are also following the sexual scripts of what it is to be a man and oh, yeah. that they have to be hypersexualized too. And, you know, I have instances with partners where I just thought, well, they're always, not always, well, they'll be up for most of the time. And then to realize like, no, no, I really don't want this. And you're like kind of taken aback. You're like, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, of course you are also a human. Yeah. But what are men facing in this, on this side of things? So I'm really glad that you brought the story up. Like what, what does consent look like on the man side? Now talk about like societal fuck ups. Like we have messed that up to a large extent as well, Mm -hmm. where you're right. Heather, where we think that men are just walking and talking dildos with a human attached to it. Like, (laughs) they will be up for sex 24-7, like perpetual boner. And that's (laughs) not true. My research results shocked me where I saw that one in five men reported cases of sexual assault in terms of being touched non-consensually. And what you said, Sarah, most of them don't even call it assault. Because Mm -hmm. it's so small, right? Like, it's not that bad at all. Like, this woman touched me. How does that even count? At least I got sex, because that's the mentality. And the conversation around consent, because we think that men are boundary pushers and women are gatekeepers, the onus is always on men. And 70% of Gen Zers who took my survey said that the man, be it in a gay relationship or in a heterosexual relationship, the other person initiated. So we are subscribing to this very heterospecific script where the other person asks and I give consent. And we also buy into this idea of hypermasculinity, where if if I confide to my guy friend, they might just chalk it off as, bro, what the fuck are you talking about? You got sex. Mm-hmm. Or if you say no to a woman, then the woman takes it as a dig on your masculinity. Like, mm-hmm. why don't you want sex, right? I thought you, you're always on heat. And no, that's not the case. So I asked students this question that tell me about a scenario during sexual experiences where you felt uncomfortable or your partner felt uncomfortable this discomfort could be really major or really minor it doesn't matter so this 19 year old male student says junior year of high school i had been talking to a girl we broke things off and she eventually wanted to get back together i declined she was my brother's girlfriend's best friend One day, she guilted me into giving her a ride to my house where my brother and his girlfriend were. I felt uneasy about being alone with her, so I made it clear that nothing would happen. We were at my house. She followed me upstairs and got on top of me. I told her I didn't want what was happening. I let it progress further than what I initially wanted. I stopped her in the middle of us having oral sex and just walked out because I felt bad telling her no, and I didn't want to hurt her by pushing her off. What... Individuals like those don't account for is the lifelong impact that you're leaving on this person and not just that person, but people who he or she or they are going to come in touch with for the rest Mm -hmm. of their lives. Because think about how this man, 19-year-old male guy, thinks about consent now. Mm -hmm. 
how does he think about consent how 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 are his future partners going to think about consent how is he going to treat them the ripple effect of these one time one off violating incidents are so far and beyond it should honestly scare us to think at this point like what that one unwanted touch can leave on not that person and like legions of people he's going to or she's going to come in touch with 100% well wow. this took a sharp dark turn <laughs> <laughs> well good thing you did this work so that we can have these conversations right and you have data to back it up i think that's really this is what i think we we need is as people like you and books like yours thank you to to like have these conversations and to be like you know what that was bullshit that that happened. And mm. we have to hear stories like that. The idea, though, that we never see in popular culture, I will say I don't think so, or very rarely see the idea that inappropriate touching is assault. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We do not, that I am aware of, we do not think about that. We do not see it. And it's not called for what it's called. Mm -hmm. And then we see that all the time. And we yeah. don't see that they're calling it what the ripple effect of that moment is. We're just not seeing it. And the thing is that how are we supposed to know? Mm. Yeah. How unless, are we supposed yeah. to know unless someone tells us names or it. shows us yeah. or names it? Names it. And I think it just reminds me of all the different conversations I've had with girlfriends and even when the second round of the Me Too movement came about. And how many women that I knew were like everybody had a story to tell. And, and even like taking it further where you're mentioning like any unwanted touch is considered assault. Like people in their workplace where they have their boss, like rub their shoulders and like, you're like, whatever, it's fine, but it makes you feel awful. You don't want to be alone yeah, or you're always own. watching yeah. your back. Right. Yeah. Like I, I had a boss that we were at an event. This is the problem too, is a lot of events. This is when I was working in advertising and journalism and things. There's so many events that are hooked to parties mm -hmm. and spaces where there's alcohol and frivolity and this idea of like, well, the boundaries are dropped between work and fun. But even though you're still in a work situation. And I once had a boss got really drunk and basically rubbed up against me from behind. And I turned around and I just talked to him like a dog and I was like, no. St don't stop and then he like kind of scurried away but then I was just like Ugh, him he's always like you know I'm always like had a little eye out for him it's always a little bit worried about him and then he proved through that action but I just like stood up and said no like but he was my boss I, I realized I'm like no this is inappropriate I don't want this yeah, right. and he thankfully didn't continue but also why did he even think it was okay to do that in the first place mm -hmm. That's what blows your mind. The fact that I'm even having this conversation, 2010-year-old Aditi did not know any of these conversations, mm -hmm. right? The fact that I could report somebody to the Title IX office was because the work was done by other people, yeah. right? We are riding yeah. on momentum and we need to continue riding on that momentum and to upgrade a lot of these conversations that we're having so it doesn't become a vapid echo chamber. Yeah. yeah. The classes you're teaching and some of the things that you've been doing, it, it is, yeah, it's this echo chamber. We're teaching yeah. the people that have already experienced it. And yeah. going back to that, like, I didn't think about that consent class and then realizing like everybody that was there had to had to take this class because they were there for to deal with their sexual assault. It's like, where do we we need those kind of things to be taught in schools? And yeah. I don't know if they are yet, but. Yeah. Anyway, and yeah. to be honest with you, like, I am doing this so people can have better sex. So we yeah. can have better sex. Yeah.
So yeah. we can experience an orgasm for crying out loud and like have pleasure in our lives because mm-hmm. we don't want these conversations to put you off of sex because that is another putrid dish of horror, right? Mm-hmm. Where people like the celibacy camp is going to be like told you in the name of God, like, you know, just, just, just lock it up, right? But in, in those sexually repressed communities, sexual assault is even more. Yes. Yes. So, Dealing with sexual assault, the solution is not celibacy. We need to set these boundaries so both parties or all three parties or whatever orgy fest that you're having, it's pleasurable. Yes. All these conversations are to ensure that sex is, is a good experience, not one that leaves you with your body feeling unappreciated and, and just turning mm-hmm. you off of sex. Then mm-hmm. what even is the point? I was speaking on another podcast on this and and a male, bless his heart, was there. And he's like, but like, if only you could tell us, right? I mean, and I completely understand, understand what he's talking about, because this never occurred to me, but this would make so much sense to you, where he's like, we also don't want to ask, like we want to do and, mm-hmm. and see how it's being received. It's all, It's akin to not asking for directions while driving. <laughs> Like we just hope that we will land somewhere with or without the GPS. Yeah. It's that. Our body is a wonderland. Like <laughs> I feel like sometimes there's a lack of understanding because you're learning about it through partners you've had. And if partners haven't been able to be vocal with each other or have conversations about what they like, mm-hmm. then it becomes like, well, I guess I'll just do this. Yeah. But also like, even for young girls and young people, being allowed to actually... N- know that they can explore their own bodies and know what it feels yes. like to make themselves yes. feel good, right? And that's yes. not something... How many movies have you have you seen? I've seen... I can't think of any off the top of my head where you see if a, a young girl exploring mm. masturbation. Mm. We've seen many shows and of boys having... experiencing it for themselves, but we don't yeah. talk about girls. Yeah. Or, yeah. or w- w- people with female bodies. Anyway, female. Yeah, yeah or oh. talking about like, oh, they the mom finds the stiff socks on the floor. Like, yeah, that's like there's always in yeah. any teenage boy room. But then also there are some, t- what I love about sex education. Oh, that, yeah. Centers around a, a young man and he doesn't feel comfortable masturbating yeah. until he figures it out. And then he's like, whoa, this is the best. But also just trying to figure out how to be comfortable in his own body and to yeah. understand what he wants and what he needs. Yeah. And, yeah, and we don't see usually see that either. We don't see that no. side. We just see like again, like you said earlier, like your sex twenty four seven, sex you know that kind of sex craze. I need sex all the time, or I need to masturbate right. all the time. And and let me tell you this, LGBT people, you are leading the way for women. I cannot. <laughs> so I measured how the frequency of masturbation for women in my sample, uh, in my student sample. The highest frequency of masturbation, gay men. The lowest frequency of masturbation, straight women. Hmm. Straight women are not masturbating, not watching porn, highly disgusted by sexual activities. We are not experiencing orgasm. <laughs> what even is the point, though, at this? Like, you know, bisexual and lesbian women at par in their level of masturbation with, like, bisexual men. Where, you know, you're, you're experiencing your body for straight women it's not even in the conversation what's stopping us from masturbation Mm -hmm. so to normalize that and to not see female masturbation as a perversion and to see male masturbation as play Mm -hmm. i would love to see that kind of script shown in, in a tv series or a movie series where a woman is just pleasuring herself 
And the only one that comes to my mind is Broad City. That's mm, the yeah. only time that I have seen a female masturbating. But the character was such a caricature where she is this over-the-top sexual human being who does not want any commitment. You don't have to be that person. You don't have to be uber-liberal or something mm -hmm. to earn the right of exploring your own body. It should be normal. It should be regular. Is all I'm totally. Trying to say. We've talked a lot about media through this whole podcast, which has been fantastic. Mm -hmm. But is there anything that you've missed that you want to say, like, tell me, I'm a writer. What do you want to see so we can help start to have a more nuanced conversation? Whew, that's a, oh my gosh. Am I, whatever I'm going to say, is it going to show up in a Hulu TV show? I mean. Maybe. It could be. my claim to this fame. <laughs> this is your time. This is your time. <laughs> and this is the one time that I'm like tongue-tied. I'm like, what do I say? Um, in terms of hookups, you know, I'm going to keep my conversation centered around hookup. Mm -hmm. What I would really enjoy seeing is a balanced approach toward female sexuality. Because on one side, we have artists like Cardi B talking about like, you know, wet ass pussy and Megan Thee Stallion. And I love those conversations. I love the fact that we have things like slut walk where being called a bitch, a whore has become like a word of female sexual empowerment. I love that liberalness that we have. And parallelly to it, I would love for that conversation to be balanced with showing us or making us aware what the other side of that sexual empowerment looks like. We cannot keep empowering females and egging them on into entering a world of female sexual exploration through hookups, through any other relationships, what have you, and not talk about the dark side. So so we don't feel this cognitive dissonance or like if if something goes awry, we don't gaslight ourselves into thinking that maybe something was wrong with me, mm. right? Like I chose to hook up. Of course, I had this thing coming to know that you can be sexually empowered and you also have the right to feel safe. That's what I would love to do. And And going off of this book where, you know, Roxane Gay and her contributors talk about they say that we don't want to reduce the spontaneity of sex. We want to reduce the spontaneity of rape. Mm. That's what we want to do. So that's what I would like to see. Okay, Heather. Well, make thank it you. Well, <laughs> Let's make it happen, Heather. Come on. Always. <laughs> no, always. That was fantastic. Do you have any other resources or things that people should could look at or start to educate themselves as they think about a more nuanced approach to the way they're looking at hookups and consent and beyond. I love Peggy Orenstein's book, Read Boys and Sex First and then mm. Read Girls and Sex. I would love for more people to read Peggy Orenstein's Boys and Sex. I love that. Sexual Citizens is another book which does a fantastic job. It's based on the Shift Project headed by Columbia University professors. And in terms of resources, what can beat the power of a story? Mm -hmm. I would encourage you to be more empathetic and listen to the stories about people in your lives, both men and women, right? Just to be more empathetic toward each other, to be more respectful toward each other. 
that's the best resource <laughs> I can think about uh, over books and, and over websites that we have. Of course, they are helpful. But what leaves a mark are these personal accounts. So to be to practice empathy, to practice listening, to, to practice, like take these small pockets in our day to day lives is the best learning resource I can think of. Mm, I love that. That's kind of why we like to do what we do in our world as TV. And oh, I listen to listen to this podcast. And, yeah. well, <laughs> listen to Brains podcast. Come on, how could I have forgotten that? It's okay. You got it. You got there in the end. It's all right. There you go. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Oh, this has uh, been wonderful. You know, I love that we could laugh, have lots of laughs, but still talk about some pretty dark stuff and heavy stuff. And I think that's kind of part of it too. We yeah. can we can have fun and we can be honest and truthful and. And, you know yeah it doesn't have to be a traumatic experience exactly. like have fun you know like yeah. get down get your stuff licked and pounded or whatever the heck that you want to do or just hold hands like whatever like just whatever floats your boat or do thirst trapping Sarah finally <laughs> understands what thirst trap is it's a win all around ladies and gentlemen <laughs> Yes. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So before we say goodbye, how can people find you on the wonderful world of the internet? Oh, I am everywhere with a very narcissistic tag. My Instagram handle is I am a DT Paul. My Twitter is I am a DT Paul. My LinkedIn is a DT Paul PhD. Um, my website is DrAditiPaul.com. And if you want to hang with my family, my ex-boyfriend, my colleagues, my friends from five different universities in this party that nobody was attended to, but everybody came in, you can add me on Facebook as well. Uh, <laughs> it's a DT.Paul. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I love it. This might be off, but are you going on a book tour? Is that what's happening? Can I tell you a secret? Yes. Yeah. This book is not even a trade book. It's an academic book. And hold on to your seats. My book is priced at $95. I do not want you to buy my book. I am the writer of this book. I will tell you I have not produced $95 worth of knowledge. Please don't do it. I had no control over it. It's an academic publishing standard that they just hike up the price because they want libraries to buy. Mm. So the mm. one way you can support me is please engage with my content and social media, download this episode, share it with your friends, and ask your libraries to get the book so that you can get to read the book and you don't have to spend a dime out of your pocket. Save it. Buy some lube. And that is where we end the episode. I love it. <laughs> that is exactly where we'll end. Buy some lube and we're out. Oh, Dr. Paul cracked me up. Oh my yes. goodness. <laughs> I just want to like hang out with her all the time. <laughs> I also now feel like I can be like, you know, an unofficial Gen Z. I'm going to admit that you might have won. You might have won that one. I concede. Is that the right. right word? Yeah, concede is the correct word, and you can use that as many times as you'd like. <laughs> I will only use it once, and this is the only time. <laughs> you know what? I'm okay with that. If this is the one time, I'm down with it. I think we have talked a lot about sex, but let's talk about some cool things. Yeah, let's do it. I've been really into this one podcast called Sounds Like a Cult, and I just, I love how they break down everyday sort of things like soul cycle and diet culture and how 
like, is it a cult? Should I watch my back? Should I be, like, questioning their, the lingo that these, like, groups use? Oh, interesting. It's been fun to listen to, and it gives me, like, a different perspective on sometimes the things that I used to might, you know, I might have jumped into in the past because I'd get so hyped up. Because they use specific language to, like, get you into it. And so, yes, there's some very seriousness when it comes to cults, obviously. It's, it's, very, it's a very broad, well, there's a very narrow part of the, of the topic, but there's, like, this podcast takes it to, like, all the things that we do in everyday life that we become kind of hyper-obsessed about. Yeah. Yeah. So I recommend checking that one out. Sounds like a cult. So mine is not about cults. Good. <laughs> so my therapist... And I were talking about feelings, as you do. But I realized that I um, use the feeling just sad all the time. I'm like, yeah, I'm feeling sad. And what I realized, like she brought up the feeling wheel. And I realized I'm mostly just scared. It's mostly just scared all the time. And I was like, well, <laughs> well that's a feeling I've experienced most of my life. She's like, that's not a surprise. But it's really cool because I'll just explain what it is. There's many different versions of this, of a feelings wheel. You can actually get a feelings wheel pillow, which is what I'm going to get so that if you are trying to figure out like where you're at, you could just have it there, give it a little hug, give a little like think it through. Anyways, you can find them on a million things in Etsy and there's a million t different versions that have been copyrighted by different people. But um, basically there's a woman named Gloria Wilcox and she was inspired by Joseph Zinker's ideas of conceiving the therapist as an artist. And then Robert Plunchik's comparison of emotions to colors. So what she decided to do is to design the feelings wheel using the four basic emotions of scared, sad, mad, and glad. And then to keep balance between comfortable and uncomfortable emotions, she expanded glad into three emotions, joyful, powerful, and peaceful. So, you know, the feeling wheel is composed of those inner circle, those six segments, corresponding to the six primary feelings, and then it has two outer concentric circles describing secondary feelings that relate to the primary ones. And so what my therapist said is you can rearrange those things for yourself to show like there's sometimes feelings that maybe sit in the kind of mad anger place that help that bridge into sadness. So like putting those beside each other, you can start to determine what are your triggers to different emotions? What things are you actually feeling and looking things in a broader way mm -hmm. and saying like, sometimes if you see the feeling at the outer circle, then start to go inward and see like, what are the different feelings that you're actually feeling? Yeah. So I thought that was really fascinating. And also how I, I often don't um, register a lot of the joyful or the comfortable mm -hmm. feelings very mm -hmm. often because it's mostly sitting in the place of fear. Yeah. Fun times. Fun times. Um, it re that reminds me of the new Brene Brown book, Atlas to the Heart. Atlas to the Heart? I think that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. And she goes into like details about different emotions. Because like you said, like we only have happy, sad, angry <laughs> often. Are those the three that we go to? Where, like, I know I would be, like, I'm frustrated. And then I, I remember a therapist being, like, being frustrated can actually be anxiety. Anyway, um, but Atlas to the Heart is good to, like, give you more language, too. So, and, like, definitions to what those emotions are. So, if you, like, paired them together and had your feelings wheel and then you had this definition book, like, you'd be, like, you'd be an emotions rock star. Yeah. I mean, it took me a while just, like, with ADHD, I'll say... It took me a while to recognize things like hunger and tiredness. So, mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like I've graduated <laughs> to actual emotions. Yay! <laughs> and not just basic needs, right? <laughs> you got to get the basic needs sorted first. That's what I was told. I'm glad you've got that worked out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. 
I had so much fun with the DD. I just hope everyone, you know, takes their spare cash and just buys lube. <laughs> Best advice we've ever received on this podcast, I'd say. Best advice. <laughs> Thanks, Aditi. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for listening to today's episode of Brains. Brains. Brains is hosted and produced by Heather and Sarah Taylor and mixed and mastered by Tony Bow. Our theme song is by our little brother, Depish, and our graphics were created by Perpetual Notion. And a big thanks goes to Blair Drover for helping with the edit. If you like what you hear, please rate and review us and tell your friends to tune in. You can reach us on Instagram or Twitter at Brains Podcast, spelled B-R-A-I-N-S Podcast. You can also go to our website, BrainsPodcast.com, where you can contact us, subscribe, and find out a little more about who we are and what we do. Until next time, I'm your host, Sarah Taylor. And I'm your host, Heather Taylor. Bye! Bye. At LensCrafters, we value expertly tailored eye care, provide state-of-the-art eye exams, offer a wide assortment of designer brands and high-quality lenses, because everything we do at LensCrafters is for every site that makes your life special. We offer 50% off lenses with frame purchase, shop in-store and online. Book your annual eye exam now on LensCrafters.com. LensCrafters, because sight. Eye exams are available at the Independent Doctor of Optometry at or next to LensCrafters. Doctors in some states are employed by LensCrafters. Offer valid to April 2nd, 2023. See associate for details.